0: The Structural Engineering Channel podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome
1: to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we are talking to Mallory Atkinson, a CPSM lead, co-founder, and managing partner at Shear Structural about how engineers can find flexibility in structural engineering and discuss some of the things company owners can do to retain staff at their firms.
0: I'm your co-host, Matt Picardle.
1: And I'm your co-host, Kara Green. Now let's jump into our conversation of the week with Mallory.
0: This episode of the Structural Engineering Channel is brought to you by Collier's Engineering and Design. Collier's Engineering and Design is a multidisciplinary engineering firm with over 1,800 employees in 63 offices nationwide and growing fast. Collier's Engineering and Design maintains an internal culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy hybrid work environments, continuous career advancement, health and wellness offerings, and programs and projects that have a positive impact on society. Collier's Engineering and Design stays on the cutting edge of technology and their entrepreneurial approach to expansion provides personal and professional development opportunities across the firm. Leadership's dedication to the well-being of their employees and their families is demonstrated throughout the wide range of benefits and programs available to them. For more information, visit the career page on their website at collier'sengineering.com.
1: Mallory, first, thank you for joining us on the show. In your own words, could you please tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, the firm you work for, and how you ended up incorporating a startup mentality into running a structural engineering firm?
2: Thank you guys so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. I would first like to say I'm not a structural engineer. So fair warning, I'm not a structural engineer. I do own a structural engineering company, but I'm not a structural engineer. I actually started my career at Georgia Tech, getting a degree in construction management and worked for a general contractor, being a site superintendent, a project manager for a really small company. Realized I loved the built environment, but I did not love being in the field each and every day. And so when I graduated, I went to work for a multidisciplinary engineering firm in marketing and business development. And so that's where I fell in love with talking about the work that we do every day in the built environment and the spaces and, and you know being a part of the spaces and places that people get to interact with each and every day and got my MBA and thought I was kind of moving up towards the ownership route and that I hit a ceiling because I'm not technical. In my view, and what I could see in the marketplace was definitely really hard for me being non-technical to go any further. And so I left the industry and i went to go work for a tech startup and doing like totally something totally different we were creating a mobile market research app and In that space, I got to see like the fast paced startup culture and how exciting that world was. And we were only building a market research app. Like that's what we were doing. And I was like, well, you know, when I was working in the built environment, like in engineering, like we were like building really cool buildings and roads and bridges and parks. And why is nobody excited about this work? And people are really excited about technology and technology is really cool. But again, the spaces and places that people interact with each and every day is way cooler, in my opinion. Like all good startups, we ran out of money. And so I took that opportunity to reevaluate. And I was like, look, I really... like I have this entrepreneurial spirit. It's why I went to go work for a tech startup. I wanted to have equity in something. So I wanted to just be a part of something and make those decisions at that level. And I thought I had something really valuable to offer. So I had reached out to a couple of my contacts in the industry and found one that I had worked with previously. And so we started talking and who's now my current business partner. And so we started talking about that. And the more we just kind of started meeting about it, started talking about what this business could look like. She's obviously a structural engineer. And especially in the industry, there are very few female-owned structural engineering companies. That in itself was you know, interesting and a lot of opportunity there and we brought in our third business partner and in 2017 after 6 months of talking we launched share structural and just about to hit our 5 year anniversary and we have 13 full time people another 4 contract staff and it's been a really fun ride
3: yeah, that's really interesting, uh, especially the tech startup background, because those are they're pretty much split. You don't have people in both industries.
1: No, you... <laughs> yeah, I feel like you would have a really spicy take on going from construction management and in like what I would consider a very like black and white type of field to something that's like very innovative and, you know, fast paced, as you mentioned, and moving that in back into a very, I wouldn't call construction or construction management slow per se. I did start in construction in Alabama, which is a slower pace for sure.
2: I think that's what was so interesting, you know, being in the tech startup and literally we were thinking in like minutes, you're just like, how do we, you know, and we're always thinking about MVP, which is a minimum viable product. So you're just trying to do that minimum. And then you're trying to see what sticks and then change, 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 change. So it's all about as fast as you can go. And this is just for a, like a market research app. Like this isn't really that interesting, but I got to meet with like CMO at Delta and the CMO at Procter & Gamble. And I had these like really cool meetings. And so I'm getting to talk to these amazing people. And again, I'm like, how can I bring that mentality to the built environment? Like, how can I do that? And how can we innovate and change? And really, we're already doing... There's a lot of innovation and change happening in our industry. It's not talking about it. Like People don't know how to market it. Because again, typically, historically, marketers have reached a certain level and then that's it. And they're typically seen as proposal developers. You're not thinking, there are few firms thinking marketing as a strategic play. So that was kind of what I was hoping to bring to our firm.
3: The AEC industry in general is slow. I think I saw a graph once comparing the AEC to the tech industry. And I was like, okay, I get
2: but again the work that we do is so much cooler like you know what do I care about like a you know an app on my phone that can change my face into a dog right and like those people they like sell their company for 10 million dollars i'm like this is crazy so anyways it's just i digress but you know it's again you're like how do we take a little bit of that and spice it up
3: talk about engineering talent it's something that over here, at least in the structural engineering industry, you know we hear about finding talent, finding ways to attract and retain new staff, providing them flexibility, particularly about flexibility. What does that mean to you engineering-wise? And what are some of the things that uh, Sheer Structural has been doing that may, might be more innovative than the standard that you typically see?
2: Well, I think when you're talking about the standard in the AEC industry, the bar is typically pretty low. There's a lot of room for improvement. Part, when we started Shear, you know, we were working out of my partner's basements and we didn't have any staff and we didn't have anybody that could do CAD or Revit. And so we had to be flexible from, we got, literally got a project on our first day in business and we were like, uh, we thought we were going to have like a couple of weeks to plan. And so we started growing so quickly. We literally flexibility was forced on us we're working out of a basement. We're having, we're like calling everybody we know. We get a contract worker. We have a stay at home mom that we knew that we had worked with like, you know, 10 years before who was at home and she was excited to do a little bit of work. And then we had somebody moonlight for us. So again, like we had to have flexibility from day one as part of the culture of our company, just because our, I mean, the people that were helping us get the work done, were working either limited hours outside of work hours. And then again, from me leaving the industry and working in a tech startup for three years, I was so used to remote work and working when I could. And again, oh, this isn't working. Let's try it this way. So I think it just kind of started from day one, us kind of incorporating that flexibility, not just ourselves, but like with the people that we were working with and the people that we were hiring.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting that you brought that up, especially with the tech startup. So a portion of my company actually does a lot of software development and the mentality in the software space versus I work on the engineering side and the engineering space, it is like, you can draw a hard line on like just the difference. Like they have like a foosball table, like they have like all of these different things. They work from home a lot and they have like all these really cool setups, but it was very interesting to see because before I moved into this position, which my company is very flexible by United States engineering standards. I remember it was like a You are here at seven in the office and you leave at 4.30. I got to know where you are. I have to know your marked time. You know, it was very like, I remember talking with my supervisor and the owner of the company because I came from a small engineering firm in my first job. And I just remember it was like very structured. And then my second job when I was a field engineer in Houston was super flexible because you had to be out and about whenever, but also we worked from home. We didn't have like offices. So it's interesting that you brought that perspective, but it's also interesting, I think, to, that y'all started out flexible just by necessity.
2: Yeah. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. Like, you know, we weren't getting salaries. We had all contributed this money. And so we're like, how can we do it as cheap as possible? Obviously, like no office space is as cheap as possible. What's the cheapest software that I can get? I can't afford a server. So I'm going to use a cloud server because that's the cheapest. So again, a lot of those things just kind of drove us in that direction. And it was the easiest and lowest, bo- like lowest point of entry to you know, set up the software this way. And then it's like, why doesn't everybody do it this way? And I think part of that is that change mentality. Because, you know, engineer, I've worked with them for a very long time. They just like really dislike change. I could use a stronger word. They hate change. But I'm going to say they just really, really dislike change. So
3: yeah, this is how we've always done it. We always work in the office. How could you not work in the office? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and there are pros and cons to both. You know, I really think that flexibility starts with trust. And, you know, again, we bill our time so we can see very easily with metrics, like if employees are getting their work done and then we have deadlines. So again, it's like they're meeting deadlines, they're doing it to their time. Like, why don't we have that trust and then we can be flexible on the schedule? Like, some people just work better at night. When I was at the startup, you know the way that my team worked, they worked a lot like after 10 a.m. And I'm coming from an engineering firm where our office opened at 7:30. I was in the office at 7:30. and I'm like, nobody's working until 10. this is crazy. But I was like, "Well, it's kinda nice. I'll get up go work out, have breakfast, enjoy myself. And like, so that's really great. And then I got used to working later at night, like at nine o'clock. And that's really a productive time for me. It's quiet. My emails aren't coming in and now I'm a mom. And so I want to pick my son up from school from four to six. I'm with him, spending some time with him. I put him down to go to bed and then I can work again. And so that, you know, again, that's what works best for me. It doesn't have to work best for everybody, but it's like, you know, I think with employees, we just need to trust that they can get their work done and you know especially it's like structural engineers typically have two degrees so it's like you have somebody highly educated person we should be able to trust them so as long as the expectations are outlined like hey i expect you to get this deadline done or i expect you to work this many hours i expect you to do this then we need to trust them that they can get that done
1: you mentioned that it is a high trust environment Especially a lot of engineering firms have transitioned, especially with, you know, the pandemic, everyone was working from home. And then there was maybe like a hard push to kind of get people back into the office. And a lot of people really resisted that. And maybe, you know, especially with your experience in the startup and starting from a more flexible standpoint, What are some of the challenges that you've faced with providing more flexibility? And what are the things that you've used to overcome it? I know for us, I'm in a flexible arrangement where I work three days in the office and two days at home. And like the goal was to essentially have all of our collaboration days in person when we could, and those are fall on my middle days of the week. What challenges have you seen or do you have any with the flexible arrangement?
2: In the pandemic, our challenge was our younger engineers really wanted more hands-on learning, and that was difficult to do that remotely, especially when the people that they're working with are a senior engineer who's just not used to the same level of technology. That's a learning curve for sure. So we do encourage our younger staff to spend more time in the office. So we have different levels of remote working based on the level of seniority of a staff member. And again, that goes back to trust, right? Like we should be able to trust a person a little bit more if they have a little bit more understanding of the job that they need to get done. But I really do think it's kind of employee specific. You know, you might have somebody who's a single parent and so they might need a little bit more flexibility or a little bit more, you know, just ability to do what they need to do because they're a single parent or, you know, there could be someone that's a caregiver to an older parent. So I don't really think there's a one size fits all. And I think that is a challenge, right? I mean, we're a small company, 13 people, plus our contract and remote workers, and everybody kind of works differently. And so it's just a challenge for a team where maybe that one team is like, hey, we do a lot of our work in the office. But then you have one person on that team who's like, I would rather be remote. So it requires constant communication, especially as managers and leaders, we need to outline expectations. So if there's something that's not working, we need to shift that conversation, not to like, I need you in the office, but hey, this is what I expect from you when you work from home, or this is what I expect from you when you're working at night. So I think we really need to talk about expectations rather than a one-size-fits-all approach to flexibility.
1: With maintaining expectations, I think that also helps workers per se with their work-life balance as well. I know when I first transitioned to fully working from home during the pandemic, my work life balance was worse. Like it was so bad because I would look at my computer setup and I'd be like, oh, but I have that one thing that I need to do. And then next thing I know, it's like eight o'clock at night. I started work at, you know, seven. And it really hurt my mental health doing that. And so at some point, I think it was probably maybe four or five months into the pandemic, I was like, all right, these are hard boundaries I have to set for myself. What I noticed is everyone was having, I think, that struggle because I would get emails at like one o'clock in the morning I wouldn't answer them because I don't do that. I'm like, what are you doing at one o'clock in the morning? You should go to sleep.
2: Like, I know you have a
1: wife and kid at home. <laughs> Maybe that's why you're working at one o'clock in the morning.
2: I do a lot of work late at night. And it's a great for me. It's just my absolute productive time. And then I can, when I'm at home, I can focus on my family. But what I have learned is we use Gmail. And so I schedule a lot of my emails. So like I might send it at midnight. I know how that, especially to a younger staff member, I don't want the expectations that like, hey, you should always be responding to me like whenever I email you. So like I'll schedule it for eight o'clock in the morning and then it's done. It's off my plate, out of my brain and it doesn't make it look too bad. Like I'm emailing people late at night.
1: So with your younger engineers, because you do offer this kind of flexible work arrangement and I'm sure they do have, maybe they've increased their work-life balance once they've found that happy medium. What is some of the feedback you've gotten from employees about with providing them this flexibility and has it increased their quality of life? Have they determined it so there's the general morale of a company? How has that gone?
2: I think it's, you know, we've had challenges. I mean, I'm not going to lie. COVID was really hard culturally. You know, we did a lot of stuff together. And then we had some employees with had health issues on top of during COVID. So then you want to be extra careful, right? You just want to make sure that you're not having a meeting in person with like everybody just to do something fun. So we had some virtual things that we did together and that's fun, but again, like just to a certain extent. So it's really been hard for us as we've come back to the office or kind of come back to this new normal to really prioritize the culture and the relationships that we have. So we Started when we started coming back to the office, we did Monday lunches. So as a company, we provide Monday lunch to everybody and we encourage everybody to be at the office on Mondays and we go through scheduling and then we have lunch and we have lunch together. Sometimes we have lunch and learns in person. Sometimes it's just for us to get together and chat. And so we've tried to kind of sprinkle in more things in person to just kind of build that relationship again. And then, you know, with a younger engineer, sometimes our younger engineers don't know any different. So to them, like what we do is the normal. So I would say with our more senior engineers, you know, they just seem to appreciate that we, again, trust them and offer these unique options, especially, you know, we haven't talked about it much, but different employment types. So offering like part-time employment, maybe to somebody who used to be full-time and they really just want to work 30 hours a week because they have family. So being open to having that conversation Or contract workers, we've had employees go from full time to contract for various reasons. And we're like, hey, you're a great employee, of course, like we want to work with you. You know, we don't want you to leave if you're unhappy or again, stay at home moms. I mean, we have some really great connections to some women, and this would be open to any parents, but they have been in the past women who, you know, have children and their kids are now in school. So, you know, from nine to two, they're available and they're great engineers. And why shouldn't we utilize their experience and knowledge and the things that they have to offer? And like, especially for that, it has really helped us with overflow. So like when we get really busy, we utilize this sort of large resource pool that we have We have somebody in Spain who's getting their master's degree and she works 20 to 25 hours a week for us and her hours, you know, she's ahead of us. So she gets all her stuff done. It's like done in the morning when we get there. It's awesome. So, again, I think just being open to what works best for those employees and not just saying no because it's something different. So we we're definitely like open to any suggestions and again we have people in other countries, contract workers, part-time workers, full-time workers, remote workers. So like just having a wide variety of people that we can use and call on when we need to is really great.
3: Yeah, one of the challenges of that is the you have these different types of workers and getting everybody on board. I think I agree with the definitely the younger engineers. I think that's challenging cuz I just remember when I was younger I was asking so many questions to my manager that was, you know, right next to me. I think with technology, you can do it, but it is slowed down, but it's not impossible. I think we've proved that during the pandemic. It just might be not as efficient.
2: Yeah, I think it has to be intentional. During the pandemic, when we were all remote, every one of our supervisors or really project senior project managers, they had time on their calendar every day. They would just log in to Google Meet's. And so they were like, I'm just going to sit. I'm going to do work, but I'm going to be logged in. So if anybody has a question, they can just pop in. And that was every day of the week. And so that was just a great opportunity. And probably, you know, like twice a week, a younger engineer would call on and like, Hey, can we do a screen share? You know. So just being intentional about how you collaborate and ask those questions, which again can be harder because it's change, it's different. But we kind of were forced to do that. So now, again, that we're sort of a hybrid, we're kind of relearning all those things again. And like, okay, how do we do this? But again over communicating and setting expectations and being intentional.
1: Even now, specifically what you mentioned was having a set time. I have set, and some of my coworkers have set office hours and it's literally for any topic and anyone can come and address something with us. And it's just like an open conversation of, I have 45 minutes of time on Friday mornings. Come talk to me if you have questions. You're right. A lot of the younger engineers, younger people in general really utilize that particular time because they understand it's almost like they feel anxiety to put specific time on your calendar. I've had people tell me that because if you look at my calendar, it looks really intimidating and I don't have a whole lot of time. But when you do that block, it's like a relief, you know, for them because they're like, oh, you have this time specific for it.
2: Yeah. And it's just like school, you know, professors have open door policies. So like, Hey, I'm always in my office this time. So it's very normal to them to have that. So you can do that, but just be virtual.
3: It's great that there's so much flexibility uh, that you're providing because you were saying that everyone's different. And that's definitely something that is challenging because everyone is different. Some people may have different circumstances, but when you were providing them with these different types of flexibility, you can get utilized talent that otherwise wouldn't go used because of their circumstances. So why not have them work? If you trust them, they're going to get the work done. I think that's the biggest thing, having that trust. And as long as everyone's together and organized, I think that's one of the things that's definitely one of the pros, I would say, for sure. Talking about the other owners, companies, maybe industry-wise, how do you think they can incorporate flexibility into their company vision and mission?
2: First, like outside of vision and mission, it's got to be part of your culture. You know it's got to be something that owner values. and I think that's probably the struggle right now is you have most owners are of a certain age and mentality that they just did not work the majority of their careers with a flexible work environment, and that is just a product of the way that it was not that it was bad. It's just the way that it was. And we're learning and we're being forced, COVID and the pandemic forced us very quickly to accept this. I would imagine that most owners have at least begrudgingly come to a point to know that they have to offer some level of flexibility. So, you know, first it begins with your culture and it really first begins with you. I don't want to be at the office working all the time. I want to see my family. So, you know, I make that a priority and I'm not like shy about that. I mean, like my daycare still is running on COVID hours. So they close early. So everybody knows that I have to leave early to go pick up my son. But again, I'm available. I'm always like, okay, you know, I'm available. One, text me if something's urgent and then I'm going to be on after eight o'clock. So if anybody needs anything, you know, just let me know. So again, it's that communication. So I would say owners just need to come from them. If it doesn't come from them or it's really hard for them, which I do know some owners it's really hard for things like closing the office for the Christmas holiday. So that's something that we started doing to, we like close our office. So we're like, we literally like force people not to be in the office. This year we're actually closing for two weeks just to like, again, like, so everybody is off of work and they have that time with their families. So kind of incorporating little moments or like, again, intentional moments of flexibility, I think is good. And then to bring it back to the vision and mission, really, the thing that we sell as engineers is ourselves and our people. If your employees aren't incorporated into your mission and vision, I would ask you to relook at your mission and vision because you can't do anything without employees and without engineers to actually do it. So part of our vision is to have fulfilled employees. So again, everybody's different. So fulfillment might look like something different to different people. We specifically chose that word because we want to have happy employees. We want to have fulfilled employees. And we do have employees that surprisingly like don't ever want to work from home. And that is totally fine. There is a place for them. Just like we have employees that never come into our office that live in Spain. And like that is how they are fulfilled. They are getting that work done. They are getting to work on unique and different projects while getting their degree. So I think, you know, to incorporate it into your mission and vision is to look at how your employee fits into that mission and vision. And so that's where I would start.
0: Before we go on here, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the FE and PE exams the first time. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep.
1: I'm on LinkedIn and I remember watching, it's a CEO of a very prominent engineering firm, like attending how to turn your engineering firm into a hybrid situation following you know, the pandemic. And I was like, interesting because it's an international firm. And I was like, it's interesting that he's thinking about that because beforehand they were a more structured company. But I also know smaller firms that are very regimented. I work in the South. Some of that old school mentality is still like tried and true. They want you to come in the office. The second they could come into the office safely, they were like, all right, five days a week, seven to five. That's what this is going to look like from now on. So if you have that situation where let's say a company isn't as flexible or is not adopting flexibility, are there things that an employee can do outside of just leaving? Because that's how we've all heard about the great recession, you know? that it could maybe sway a company to changing their mindset around flexibility or a hybrid situation?
2: I mean, there are so many articles about the value of offering flexibility to employees that, and it's again, like as an owner, it's in my face. I talk about it at professional organizations. I see it on LinkedIn. I see it in the things that I get. So if an employer is still like, nope, this is the way it's going to be, That's okay. Again, if that's, if you're looking for a culture of flexibility, that is not the right place for you. That is pretty much what an employee can do is leave. Or, you know, what you can do is you can say, hey, I'm considering leaving because this is what I want, but I like working here for X, Y, Z reason. And would you consider doing this for me? Like it's either I leave or I can stay, but like this that's a hard conversation to have especially for a younger employee but you know not every job is meant for every person we are not a company for every single person you know we are highly flexible highly independent working you know we don't have a set career ladder when you do this or you stay here for this long you get to go here you know that's not us and so not every employee is meant for that like some people need or want a lot of structure and that's not the kind of company that we are so i think you just have to find that. So I would hope an employee in the interview process is understanding what that company is offering or what its flexibility look like to them. So I would turn that and be like, when you're interviewing for a job, being sure to ask those questions. You know, hey, what if I have a doctor's appointment? You know, pop up in the middle of the day. Like, how do you guys handle that? And there are some companies that are like, you gotta take PTO. And I mean, to me, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, it's like gotta take an hour and a half of PTO to go to a doctor's appointment. I mean, doctors are open nine to five. Like we work nine to five, so it's just if that. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just, so how do, you know, maybe asking those questions in the interview are are a good place to start.
3: When I talk to my colleagues that are, you know, more into the management side of things, it's after COVID, especially if you're not going to offer some type of flexibility, other companies will, and you're going to lose out on a big talent pool portion. Now that people have become more aware that, you know, it's working from home. It's a lot more normalized now. And I think some of the stigma has uh, gone away from it. That's kind of the world that we're going to be living in. And companies have to adapt. Uh, how they adapt, whether they go all in or hybrid or not at all, I think uh, that's definitely something that's going to be ingrained or already ingrained in their cultures. And I really like how you're doing it because it does start from the top. If the company leaders aren't doing it, then if someone lower tries to incorporate it, then they're going to feel bad because they're like taking advantage of something that's looked down upon, even though it's allowed, you know, so things like that. So I think starting from the top, absolutely. That's how you get it ingrained into the culture. It's ingrained in the leaders.
2: Yeah. And you know, it's like that there's a business mantra, change or die. If you want your company to be successful, you have to adapt and keep up with the times and pandemic showed our employees and owners, and leaders, and managers, and supervisors, that it's possible. The work still got done. People still met their deadlines. So to go back to the way it was, no one's going to believe you. It's like, well, no, 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 no. We like it in, it's totally fine, and like nothing's changed, so we can do this. It was proved to everybody that it was possible. So there's no going back to that old, hey, you got to only do your work in the office. No, it's going to be hard for those employers to recruit in a crazy, crazy market.
3: With the topic of retention, that's also a big topic in the structural engineering industry. Keeping employees, I think the industry is kind of known for turnover and trying to, almost all the industries, but for me, I'm so close to it. The structural engineering industry, keeping that retention, uh, that's always a big topic Retention, I'm sure you know as a business owner how much it costs the company when someone leaves, and then you got to do recruiting fees, and then you got to make time for their interviews, and then you got to train them, and then they leave like all that time. And so, definitely, you don't want people to leave. What's Sheer Structural's perspective on this, and what are some things that you have done to retain staff?
2: Well, again, like I said, employees are product, right? We don't sell a product, we sell services. So, employees are the thing that is the most absolute, most important thing to us. So obviously, retaining them is high on our minds. We, uh, like everybody else, have not been immune to what I am now calling, where I've seen it called the great realization. So people are realizing the kinds of employment, uh, work-life balance. They, They realize what they want out of life, basically, and what they want out of their work. Like I said, we're not the company for everybody. Some of the things that we do to retain employees it begins with transparency we're a very transparent company we send out monthly emails after our partner meeting where we share do we meet billing goals do we meet collections goals what's going on what's the good what's the bad you know we don't shy away from sharing that with our team we had a few people leave in like a very short amount of time you know i could explain them all individually people moved away some people left the industry somebody just quit and stopped working but It still doesn't look good. And so we had all hands-on meeting. Hey, let's all talk about, is there something that we need to address? Is there something that as owners we're missing? So we really try to include the employees and our team in the decisions that we make, because again, they're the most important thing. And without them, we can't do our work. Again, being transparent and communicating is a great way to retain employees. Obviously, salaries have been a really big thing lately. You know, we're not doing like a big company, like only one salary increase a year. You know, we'll give merit increases, cost of living increases. We'll just do salary adjustments when we review a salary study that came out. Like it doesn't have to be only once a year. It doesn't have to be twice a year. We did have a lot of people leave in a short amount of time. We went ahead and just gave people bonuses because we're like, we know everybody until we find a new hire. We're going to, you're going to be working more. We're going to do what we can and help you. We are trying to schedule them for less work. So typically, you know, in our scheduling, we might look at scheduling the typical employee 40 hours a week. We're looking at scheduling them for 34 hours a week. So because we know stuff comes up, so we don't want them to be overloaded. We don't want them to burn out. We're thinking about that. So again, I think we kind of approached it at all levels. I don't know if this counts as employee retention, but we spend a lot of time after somebody gives their notice with them. So, you know, either it's, hey, we know you're leaving or you're moving. Is this a remote work scenario where when you move, maybe you're moving to the West Coast, can we talk about working for us remotely? And, you know, sometimes it's like, they're like, no, I want to be in the office. My significant other is moving. So I'm going to be out there. Okay, great. Door is always open. So we talk a lot about the door being open and we try to make someone's experience leaving our company just as good as it was when they came. And we have had people come back. So we're five years old and we've had people come back because they feel like we, once they turned in their notice, we didn't shun them. I have heard horror stories. And you know, when I've left companies, I've been treated horribly. And like, that is, you're like, okay, I'm never going to work there again. Like, Why would I? I had a great experience. And then on the last day, this happened and that was really terrible. So why would we do that to anybody? This is a very small world and our industry is even smaller. So we want to make anybody's exit experience as good as it can possibly be. And the door is always open for you to come back. And we have had people come back. So again, I think it's including our employees in many of the decisions that we make and being transparent and communicating and then making sure that they know that there's a place for them when they come back. Or we've also had people that are like, hey, you know, I feel burnt out. I'm working too much. And it's like, let's talk about part-time. Like, let's talk about what 20 hours a week looks like for you and what that looks like for us. And so I think some people just, they've never had that as an option. And we've hired people part-time who are like, that's what I told my previous boss is like, Hey, I'm working too much. I still want to work with you, but I only want to work 20 hours. And they're like, we're not set up for that. And I want to be like, come here, come, we're set up for that. I have any kind of employee, like any type of employee you want, like I got it. So like, we have experience with it. We know how to work with it and just being available and flexible to what's the needs of the employee in that moment.
1: Yeah, and I would even say that's a very thoughtful leadership style, but like a lot of the things that you mentioned is like trying to work with the employee as much as possible to make their work situation the best fit for both of you, because it is, and especially in a services oriented company, it really pays to listen to your employees and partner with them to make sure that their working life, However, it shakes out as best as possible. One thing you mentioned, and this is like such a hot topic because I think everyone is experiencing turnover, is doing the bonus for the people who are being retained or who are staying in the position. I mean, I've been in a situation where I worked on a team where we lost two team members and everyone had to pick up the slack. And all of a sudden, you know, you're working 45 hours to like 60. It's a really fast way to burn out. And then when someone gets hired on, if that work is not acknowledged, it's almost like a slap in the face when that happens. So you mentioning that, that is, I think, an incredibly good point to make, especially for a lot of companies who are having high turnover is to really look at employees that you have who are picking up the slack and making the companies, the wheels still roll and acknowledge that.
2: Some firms might not have the cash to be able to do bonuses, I understand. But it's really like what you said, it's the acknowledgement. Like an employee wants to be acknowledged that, hey, I didn't leave, <laughs> I'm staying. So like, can I just get a little bit of recognition that, you know, this is what I have to do now. And so again, I think it's just appreciating the employees that you have. Because again, without them, we can't do anything. So, you know, just at least, you know, acknowledge, I mean, I mean, you're not gonna be able to give a bonus every single time somebody leaves, but we do like handwritten thank you cards, you know, when somebody does something good. I mean, I think a handwritten thank you card goes a long way. So just the little things that we can do as leaders to appreciate the work, especially right now. I mean, we are all so busy. There are not enough engineers in our field and it takes them a very long time to get there. So we will be in this for a very long time. It will be a long, it'll be years before we can kind of get back to normal without something major happening. And I just think that even a recession, won't affect us because we've had a 10 year lack of investment in our industry and especially in the talent in our industry. So we had low salary, low wages, low hiring for post 2008, and we are feeling those effects and it will take us a very long time to get back up. We need to appreciate our employees.
1: Yeah. That's also a very interesting take on the industry in general. I haven't heard that. I would agree with you is that for a long time, structural engineers, I mean, I've even had it where my younger cousins, they've looked at engineering. They're not going into engineering, but it was. And it was because of they're like, well, it's a very conservative industry, even though you work in it, Kara. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like well, I can tell you that it's changing.
2: Well, I mean, if you're going to a technical school and you're like, I could choose engineering or I can choose computer science and when I graduate. I could get a job for $60,000 and work a 10 hours, or I can get a job for $100,000, work from home, be flexible, have fun. You're like, okay, that's a big difference. You know, we're not talking about like $10,000 difference in salary. We're talking about major differences. Tech companies have been investing there. And it's like we as an industry need to invest there. We need to encourage kids who are like inclined to do engineering. I mean, they build Legos. They, you know, build sandcastles, like they love engineering and the things that we do. But then when you get to college and you look at the numbers, it's like, we need to make those numbers look better. And we're being, our industry, again, being forced into that direction because we have to, right? Like we have to have talent. We're getting there, but it's still slow.
1: I hate to conclude our time because I mean, this was such a great conversation and it's such like, I know it's not a super hot topic. I consider it a hot topic. I think it's so interesting. Do you have any final advice to maybe young engineers wanting to join a flexible company or even maybe more tenured engineers who are trying to change the mind of the company they work for to a more flexible hybrid environment with some of the key benefits, the fast moving pace of a startup company? What final advice could you give? I would say the two parts young engineers looking for a flexible situation, kind of what to keep an eye out for. And then for the more tenured engineers, how do they maybe get their company to really listen to them on a hybrid situation?
2: For younger engineers, you know, my advice, and this kind of spans both flexibility and all things, is to just really increase your network if you increase your network in and outside the industry, you'll be aware of what other firms are doing when it comes to flexibility. You'll understand, hey, you know, actually the company that I'm at, this is pretty flexible, maybe in my location or my region or for the job that I'm doing. Cause again, like I mentioned, our younger engineers, we do encourage them to be more in the office and have, you know, more kind of like sporadic flexibility. And we explain to them why that is, right? But having that network of other people that they can talk to where they're, you know, the other person's like, oh, my gosh, we're a button seat company. I have to be at the office at 730 every day and I can't leave until 530. So having that network will not only help you understand what else is out there, but it will also, even in our industry, always help you. I mean, like I would not be a business owner if I did not have the network that I have now. I mean, I would not have gotten a job in a startup when I had like zero technology and startup experience had I not had my network. Using your network and bolstering your network as early as you possibly can is a just a great thing for your career. For a more tenured person in the industry, if you have connection to your CEO or to the owner, I mean, that's when I think you need to be showing them that hybrid is here to stay, sharing those news articles, having them go to like, you know, an ACEC meeting or an like whatever name your professional organization here, all these conversations are happening. I do a lot of stuff in the industry. I also do things outside the industry. So I'm a part of a couple of entrepreneur groups. And you know, in those groups, I'm the, typically the only person in the AEC engineering. And it's like you hear from them and you're like, oh, yeah, we still got some change to do. You, know, you just hear what they're dealing with. And you're just like, oh, yeah, we're like so far behind. But I'm like, but I'm, I'm ahead in our industry. So I'm feeling good. There's so many more things that we can do, and so much more growth that we can see, and so many innovative things that other companies are doing. And they're doing the hard work, right? They're doing the the trials. And I'm like, okay, you figure that out, and then you tell me, and I'll do it, and then it'll make it look, look really good. I do think kind of having those relationships or those tenured engineers encouraging their business owners to be looking outside the industry. And I would say this is where. When you have owners that are all engineers that are working on billable work, it's very hard for them to take that step back and kind of see, you know, and for me, I can't do engineering work. I, I mean, I, sometimes I wish I could help and like go and read it because people are working late on a deadline. But like, I have to be thinking about the business all the time. I mean, that's all I can do, you know? And so I do think there is value to maybe relying on those non-technical people and those non-engineers to be maybe helping, encouraging, finding those things or making that case. So a tenured engineer can maybe talk to HR or marketing. Hopefully those are not also engineers, but they can, you know, be talking to those people and be asking them to help them make that case too. So there are good expertise in most engineering companies and we should be relying on those people, relying on our team.
3: Great advice. I especially like the way you said about being open to the innovation that's happening in other industries, because I think like what you were saying, most of the older owners, I guess, for structural engineering firms are probably typically the technical ones. And, you know, they rose up to leadership and that's probably what they've been used to for X amount of years or, or whatnot. But having that outside, maybe even non-technical people that are looking at that and it takes time, like you were saying, trial and error, but you're kind of learning from other industry professionals and seeing what works. And I think bringing that those types of innovations, I've heard things about like you were saying, flexibility, but I've also been hearing things about how different companies have different pay structures, how they pay their employees, maybe with stocks or with some type of ownership instead of just salaried or bonuses. There's a lot of things because my brother's in the tech industry and he's telling me how they do things too. And I'm like, we don't do that. We should. (laughs) There's so many ways, but it, it does take that outside perspective. I know. Yeah.
2: But like, they've already done it. Like they did it like five, 10 years ago. I mean, look at remote work. Tech companies have been doing it for 10 years. And we're like, oh, what are the issues? And they was like, they've already figured out all the issues. Just just look at what they're doing. Copy that, you know? It's like, again, we get so stuck into our industry ways. They've got to take the blinders off, you know? And be like, what are other people doing? And then what problems do they have, right? I mean, all like, again, I go to the tech startup and I'm like, oh, well, these are the same problems that we had. Like, these are the same marketing issues or company issues or business issues that we had. You know, it's just like, okay, but like, what now new tools do they have to solve them? Or how am I enabled as an employee to solve those problems, like differently than I was previously? So it's like, all these stuff are business challenges. All these business have these same challenges. It's just, yeah, they're ahead of us. Just look at what they're doing. Copy it.
1: Well, thank you so much, Mallory. I think this is all that we have, but it was such a pleasure to talk to you and get your perspective on such an interesting topic. Well, I will say the engineering industry has been kind of forced into. And so a very refreshing take, especially from a business owner on your flexibility and how it has really led your company to success. So thank you so much for your time and for sharing it with us.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun.
3: I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. To leave them, please visit StructuralEngineeringChannel.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, which is episode number 81, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering
0: endeavors. The Structural Engineering Channel podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.